Good morning, and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I welcome you to this day of worship, Sabbath, and celebration. As we edge ever more into the fall, we are reminded again that this is God's world, and for that, we give thanks. So I invite you to join us as we celebrate and worship today our God of joy, grace, and love. Come on in. Ezekiel the prophet did his work during the exile of the Israelites to Babylon. This selection is from the latter part of his book, the emphasis at that point being that God will be faithful to his people and will sustain them and revive them. The verses are chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. Listen to this and see if you don't recognize it from something you've earlier heard today. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading this morning is found in your word, your Bible, Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Give attention to God's word as I read this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit 
that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Picture yourself in the year 1909 as a junior student at Yale University, one of the finest universities in the land, and you're uh, at the end of your third year. Big things are coming for your senior year and your last summer as a college student. This is one of the last days in May as exams are closing out, but it's a significant day socially for these juniors at Yale because it's called Tap Day at Yale. It's still known as that today. And the way this occurred, according to the great financier Averill Harriman and diplomat, as he was a student during that day and greatly anticipating with great excitement but yet fear as he stood on the lawn with the rest of the junior class on that day to see if they would be tapped. And the way it worked was that members of the senior class who had been tapped the year before into Skull and Bones, which was the top honor society, social society at Yale University. Uh, President Taft had been a, a member of, of, uh, of Skull and Bones uh, in previous years. Uh, I think both President Bushes were members of Skull and Bones. A former Senator John Kerry of Massachusetts was a member of Skull and Bones and other distinguished Yale graduates that have served our country were members of Skull and Bones. So this is uh, very significant. One of the elite universities of our land, but here on this last day, do you make it to the final elite group of individuals? And so the seniors who were members of Skull and Bones would come out wearing blue suits. They had their pin attached, their Skull and Bones pin attached to their lapel. They're wearing bowler caps. And understand they would come out and do a, a dance through the junior class. And the juniors are waiting there. Will I get tapped or will I not? And imagine the pressure socially. And the rest of the student body is watching. Who's going to get tapped? Everybody knows that you won't get in or that you will get in. A lot of pressure to these young students. And the members of the Skull and Bones who were seniors who were about to graduate and who had selected these select group of juniors to be in this exclusive club would come by and they would tap you on the shoulder and whisper into your year, ear, go to your room. That's how you knew you were a member of Skull and Bones and they would go up to their dorm room and to await further instructions about the induction ceremony that would occur. If you didn't get tapped, you were left standing in embarrassment and shame on the quad of the beautiful campus at Yale in New Haven, Connecticut. And, uh, and it was quite uh, discouraging to see that. President Franklin Roosevelt was at Harvard and he did not get selected to their ultimate fraternity there, which was called Porcillian. 
His cousin, who had been president or would be president of the United States, had been president of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt was a member of Porcillian. He had gotten tapped in the 1870s when he was a student at Harvard. And President Roosevelt, as he stood waiting for his induction to Porcillian, did not get accepted. And even as president of the United States in the 1930s and 40s during the war, he looked back and he said, one of the great disappointments of my life, even he's president, was not getting into Porcillian. So you can imagine the pressure they felt. And I bring up this illustration of tapping uh, for these fraternities uh, because it goes similarly along with some of the scriptures that we're reading today. Contextually, things were going on in the religious world. Things were going on in the church of Jesus Christ. Could anybody outside of the Jewish faith become a Christian? That was a real issue of concern. Peter didn't think they could for quite a while when he began ministering until the Lord got a hold of him and showed him through dreams and others that he needed to share the gospel to those outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish faith that yes, Gentiles could become Christians. That was a huge question because in the world, you had Jews and you had Gentiles and they were two separate, uh, separate peoples. And huge changes are happening here as Luke writes these chapters of the book of Acts in the gospel. Much time, it's very significant uh, this is probably the most significant part of the book of Acts as this truth is coming onto the church that, yes, the gospel is open to all, not just those who are of the Jewish uh, background and blood. Uh, so uh, it's incredibly significant what's going on here. And it's much like, uh, you might say, modern day, uh, even now in our world, significant changes are going on. For all of our life, for most of my life, I've enjoyed watching these, uh, the, the rockets launch into outer space. I wanted to be an astronaut at one day, and, um, but I had to wear glasses so I knew I could be a pilot, and that disqualified me. But it was usually military pilots, and then scientists went into space, and that's all we've known. But just this year alone, within a matter of a few weeks, we now have two of the richest men in the world, Bezos and Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, have launched rockets into outer space with normal folks, just like you and me. If you've got enough money, you can ride into space uh, for, uh, for an opportunity to go on a space trip. Whoever would have thought that could occur uh, during our lifetime. So huge changes uh, are in effect for us, but most significantly for uh, the Christian church that is written about here by the book of, uh, by Luke, as he writes this. Uh, they, are, they are talking about Christ followers. They're described and they're defined by their faith and the fact that they followed Christ more than what their race was, more than their club membership, more than their bank account or their achievement or their nationality or their club membership. Uh, they're defined by what they believe in here. In verse 21, it's very significant. And Luke writes this word, 
and he does it only twice. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believe turn to the Lord. Luke only uses this twice, here and in uh, uh, Luke chapter 1, when he's describing the ministry of John the Baptist, that the hand of the Lord is upon him. This invisible power that has come upon the church. And it's a, a, a beautiful description of the power of an invisible God being manifest through visible means when these people confess their faith in Jesus Christ and their lives begin to change. And yes, there is a lot of opposition as we read in the book of Acts, but God is beginning to transform this city of Antioch like it's never been transformed before. The city of Antioch, it was known as a cesspool of inequity. You can imagine what cities come to mind when you think of cities, oh, I don't want to go there. That's a cesspool of inequity or a part of a city. Uh, Antioch had that reputation. The historians tell us Antioch, it's in ruins today, but in its day, in this, this time, 2,000 years ago, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. If you think about America, uh, in New York City being the largest city, maybe Los Angeles uh, being the second largest, Chicago being third largest city. Uh, Antioch was the third largest city. In this day, Rome was the number one city, the largest city in the world. Alexandria, Egypt was the second largest city in the world. And then Antioch, which was tucked into where Turkey and Israel uh, or Syria come together. The ruins are actually in southern Turkey. It was part of Syria at this time. But it was the, there was a phrase in Rome that they used to describe Antioch, and they would, because things were so bad there, and they didn't know what to do, they didn't know how to handle it. But in Rome, they would quote, they'd say, the sewage of Antioch flows into the Tiber which meaning Rome can't change it, and it was being affected by it, the Tiber River flowing through Rome. So they knew there was a problem there and things needed to be done about it. But Luke records here, the hand of the Lord was changing it. In the whole book of Acts, it's a, it's a picture of the triumph of the Christian gospel as it goes out. Rome is the center of the business world, of the political world, of the military world. And no power can withstand the preaching of the gospel is what Luke is telling us essentially, that there's no army, uh, there's no mandates, there's no laws that can stop the preaching of the word of God, even though it's been tried for years. Uh, that there is a wall of partition is broken down and the gospel is going through it from Jews to Gentiles here in this book. And Luke strands these weaves and weaves this together, this whole theme, beginning, first of all, with Stephen and his martyrdom and the sermon he preached in Jerusalem outside the synagogue there where he preached and confessed Jesus Christ. And, and then he was stoned. And there was a young man stood off and held the cloaks of those who were enraged and wanted to throw stones at, at Stephen named Saul. And he was greatly impacted by what he heard Saul, uh, Stephen preach. 
And then secondly, uh, we're going to look at Barnabas, who encourages God's people. And then thirdly, we're going to be look at Saul, uh, an unbelievable conversion, almost as unbelievable as if Osama bin Laden were to walk through these doors and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In that little synagogue in Jerusalem, Stephen's preaching predicted all of this, the cause and the effect of God's message going to the ends of the earth like it's beginning to do. God is doing something here in Antioch, uh, tucked up in that intersection of Turkey where Europe and Asia and the Middle East come together. And he uses that term, which I love, and is on the front page of the bulletin. I appreciate it being put on there. That the hand of the Lord is upon us. The little church in Antioch sees revival. And it just once again proves that through small things, big things can happen. I was up in Martha's Vineyard last week and saw this giant tree. And uh, I forgot the name of the kind of tree it was. We don't, I don't think we have them here. But they had a, a brass sign below it in Edgartown, Massachusetts there. And it said this tree had been planted 300 years ago that was brought in a little box from China and planted here by missionaries that had returned from China, something like that. And now it's a huge tree. Again, a reminder of huge things that can come out of small things. And Luke is recording something small that's about to be something huge. God is doing something here in Antioch. The hand of the Lord is upon them. They see this revival coming, people coming to know Jesus Christ. It's a constant theme of God stretching his hand and people being blessed, eyes being opened, hearts being cured and healed uh, as they come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ, a blessing. The Spirit comes as the disciples preach the gospel here. And uh, when Pentecost occurred, as they began, as the disciples began speaking about Christ, the power of the Spirit manifested. And it's the same for us as we go out in Columbus, Georgia, where we live in our homes, with our children, with our grandchildren, uh, where we might uh, serve in businesses, in schools, in the community, the power of the Spirit is manifested as we speak about Christ. Uh, sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm going to wait to see what the Lord wants me to do. And I found God has trouble steering a ship that's dead in the water. When a ship is moving, it's much easier to steer and I found God blesses when we're moving, not to wait around for the Spirit, but go speak about Christ, and the Spirit is with you. Seize those opportunities to speak the gospel. That's our responsibility, is to speak the gospel. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to bring the new life. And then secondly in this passage, uh, after, after this, uh, the hand of the Lord is upon us, he, he gives some attention to the ministry of Barnabas. The Jerusalem church had great wisdom to send Barnabas, who was known as the son of encouragement. They sent him to find Paul and to minister here, first of all. And 
we see what a blessing he was. Luke gets to know Barnabas so well as he investigated all of this, what's going on, recorded this history, that he calls him here in verse 24, said he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord because of Barnabas's ministry being there. Um, what a testimony that he saw the grace of God, that he was glad that Barnabas encouraged them to be faithful, to be purpose, purposeful, that Barnabas was a good man, a man of faith. How well we all have been blessed by people like this in our lives. Uh, I thank the Lord for so many people in my life, even here in this building, uh, in this church today, who have been a blessing to me and encouraged me uh, because we have times when we get discouraged. There are all kind of voices to listen to you, to hold you back, to pull you down. And to have someone come in and speak God's word to you is very powerful and very encouraging and very supporting. And I've always appreciated it and been grateful. And I hope I have been that way to many people, including you here today. I got to experience this as a hospital chaplain uh, to go into somebody's room who was sick and ill and wondering why in the world did God allow all the tires to fall off my life and I'm in this situation that I'm not sure how I'm going to get out of or if I am going to get out of it and to sit down with them and read God's word which one of my seminary professors always told me is a return to reality. We need to remember that, uh, that God's word is a return to reality not the local news, not what you hear, not the words of others, but God's word. And I could see people's change right before me when they, God's word settled them, gave them that foundation, gave them that encouragement. But in verse 23, uh, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. Barnabas did that. Um, and we appreciate that. And then next, this next verse, if Barnabas does not do what he's about to do, Christianity would be so different than what we see today. Because Barnabas recognizes the situation in Antioch he's facing, and he realizes, I don't have all the gifts and skills. I can't do this on my own. I need help. To do this, it requires gifts he does not have. So in verse 25, it says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. If you recall, Saul met Jesus Christ on the Damascus road. He confesses Christ. People are wondering, is he just doing that so he can get in our group and then kill us? Because the persecution was real. But no, Paul had, Saul had made a conversion and his name was changed to Paul. But he was disinherited by all who knew him, all of his friends, all of his family. He went back, was hiding out in his hometown of Tarsus, not too terribly far away from Antioch. And Barnabas realizes, aha, that's the man I need. It's been years. Paul has been growing in Christ. You know, right after his conversion, he didn't start just preaching. He went away to learn, be discipled, and grow for probably 10 to 12 years, most scholars believe. But Barnabas knows it's time for him to come forward. 
I'm going to go look for him. And that has changed. And Christianity would not be the same, I don't think, if Barnabas did not go and look for Saul. It's hugely significant. But Barnabas shows us great wisdom and humility uh, displayed by Barnabas. It's a rare gift in leaders to admit, I don't have all the answers. I need help. I need others in my life. You can scarcely turn the page from Acts chapter 12 to the rest of the Bible uh, in Acts, and no longer is it Barnabas and Saul. It becomes mostly Paul. Uh, Even Peter begins to fade in the rest of the book of Acts. His demotion to playing second fiddle to Paul is extraordinary, really, to see that's going on. Because uh, Saul had been disinherited and Barnabas knew he needed to find him. He needed him. And in Acts 13, the next chapter on, Paul begins to rise in ascendancy ahead of Barnabas and Peter, transitioning into leadership of the church. And that's hugely significant for us. Each one of us, we've benefited from Barnabas finding Paul. And God will raise up Paul to be the leader of the church and to bless each one of us even today as we read this and as you read your Bibles uh, in your quiet time. So a whole year they met with the church and taught, saturating the people of God with the truth of God. The hand of God is manifested here. The truth of God leads to going out in the world and working through the gospel and its implications of how it affects us in daily life, what it means to us in our daily ethic of treating people well, of being honest and doing things and being a blessing to other people rather than being one to take everything for ourselves. And thirdly, in this passage too, we find this is the first time that those who are Christ followers are named Christians. In verse 26, it's the first time they were called Christians. It's a new name. It's a new identity distinguishing Christians from Jews and Gentiles. It's like a third race almost because that's what the world had known at that time, Jews, Gentiles, and now you have because of the, the, the people in the community realize what's going on. They're like, these people need to be called Christians. That's what they were called. And it's the power of that new community forced outsiders to say, this is different. This is something different. And I found this true wherever I've traveled. I've been blessed to go many places in the world. There's this kindred spirit among Christ followers wherever I go. Jerry and I had the privilege of going to northern Iraq uh, a year and a half ago, and we were up in the northern Kurdish area of Iraq, and we went to a church there with Christians, and some of the Christians still spoke Aramaic, one of the last remaining sections of the world where people still speak Aramaic, which was one of the languages Jesus spoke in the Bible. Mel Gibson went to that area when he made the Passion movie because he wanted that genuine Aramaic to be spoken. And there was a beautiful Christian spirit amongst these Iraqi Christians uh, there in northern Iraq. I've seen it uh, worshiping in churches in London 
in Zimbabwe, out in the bush, worshiping with Christians there, in Sydney, Australia, worshiping with Christians there, uh, even here in Columbus, uh, wherever I go, worshiping with Christians. There's a Christian spirit that God has bound us together, uh, and, and it's beautiful, and I praise the Lord and thank him for it. And then, lastly, as part of what Luke has been writing out here, is this whole last couple of verses where he talks about Agassus. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And we know in A.D. 41 to 54 that there was a famine in the world under Emperor Claudius. But you know what's fascinating to me as I read this section? Uh, it's fascinating to me how the people, how the church reacted when told things will go astray, what did they do? I don't know about you, but when I'm told things are going to go astray, when I read on the news that uh, there's a major pipeline that's going to be blocked because it got hacked, the colonial pipeline, gas is going to run short. You probably did what I did, maybe. I went out and filled up my cars with gas, told my wife, go get your car filled up, which makes the problem worse. And then um, with the pandemic, uh, maybe you went out like I did. We hit the stores, get all the toilet paper in the world, and uh, all the other goods you can get. Um, that's unfortunately how I found myself reacting. But the people here reacted in a totally different way. It's very impressive. When told things are going to go astray, they didn't hoard what they did. They went out and God, through Agabus, tells them what will happen, but he doesn't tell them how to react. But look at the scriptures, the way they react. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. Uh, their response was, how can we bring blessing in this situation? Not how little do we need to give, to help them get by, not what do you need? They didn't even ask that question. They just decided, how can I bring blessing according to their prosperity? They were very generous. They gave. They met that need. And, and they ask, and we should ask, how can we respond to God's word that we can be a blessing? Faith in a real God they were not playing games. It's real. Christ had changed them. He had done heart surgery on them. And they knew God owned everything. And they were stewards of it. Their time, their talent, their treasure. I asked this morning, those listening, those here, do you know God owns everything? Your time, your talent, your treasure. He does. And God is unleashing this on the world, and we are the beneficiaries of this. We are part of an extension of Acts 11. And the Holy Spirit, as we go out and minister to people, He will use us to change our family, to change our city, not what I can get, but how can I bless other people? I want to follow up with that question, have you been tapped? That was asked of those Yale students back in 1909 and is still part of the ceremony. I don't think they do it on the 
to save embarrassment, they just go by their room at night now because they, it was so embarrassing and caused such depression among students to be publicly shamed when they didn't get tapped. But uh, now they go by their room and do that. But um, uh, I asked the question, have you been tapped? And I want to share just in closing a little bit of my story. Uh, in 1974, I was in high school at Hardaway playing tennis for Hardaway. Hoped I'd be a great tennis player one day. That was a delusion. But um, uh, they, a couple of my friends walked by, said Johnny Musso, who was the great running back for the University of Alabama, setting, second leading vote getter in the Heisman Trophy. He was known as the Italian Stallion. He was coming to speak, and I thought, well, maybe I can learn something. So I went to my a house two doors down from my, myself on Edgewood Road, just drove by there the other day as I was thinking about this. And, uh, and Johnny spoke. There were a couple of former players for the University of Alabama that were here working in Columbus. And Johnny spoke about how great it was to play, how blessed he was to be a good football player, and he was going to play pro football, and things were great for him. But they hadn't always been that way. And he said, you know, in spite of all my athletic accomplishments, there's still a gaping hole in my soul which I tried to fill with everything you can possibly try to fill. I imagine most of us have tried to do that as well in our life. But he said, only through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ can that hole be filled in your soul. Uh, you may try to fill it with everything, but nothing will work except personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Placing your faith in Christ, realizing he has forgiven you of your sins, and that he has an abundant plan for your life and a purposeful plan for your life. And when Johnny shared that, the light went on. The Lord opened my eyes. I feel like that's when I got tapped, when the Lord opened my eyes and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I've never recovered from that day in 1974, right here in Columbus on Edgewood Road. It still is part of me and will be till the day the Lord calls me. And I'm grateful for that, that, that the Lord opened my eyes. And so I ask, I was tapped by the Holy Spirit and I've not recovered. And I ask those listening today, have you been tapped by the Holy Spirit? If not, this would be a good day for the Lord to open your eyes, to realize that you can't fill that hole in your soul unless you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have done that, to continue to affirm that each and every day to live that out and the implications of what that means to be a blessing to this community, as many of you are. Uh, so let's pray about this today as we close. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your hand to be upon the church here in Acts chapter 11, as well as your hand to be upon the church here in Columbus, Georgia. We thank you for the work you've done in our lives, Father, and ask you to continue to tap individuals to open their eyes to the wonderful work of Jesus Christ and his plan and your plan you have for us. Lord, I pray for folks right now that you would wrap your arms of love around them Show them the wisdom of this that might be searching for this and ask you to give clarity and hope and a future 
and the faith they need to make this promise and make this commitment to trust you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, for those of us who've been walking with the Lord for many years, pray that you would continue to hold us close to you. Uh, Help us to be a blessing to you as we study our word and hear it preached and the implications that means for us this day and this week ahead. Lord, we know you're going to use this in our lives this week, and we thank you for it. We move into this week with great hope, with great purpose, with great faith and courage for the plans you have for us in this city this week. And we commit these things to you. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.